Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. I think it's helpful to remember when we talk about renunciation, how natural it is as a part of the Dharma. It fits right into the natural home of the Dharma. And if you remember just quickly what the Buddha's insight was, which we all know at this point, happiness and suffering are caused by the way the mind reacts to present moment experience. And this reaction to the present moment is driven by our habits, driven by our heart-mind qualities, and the mind can be trained. We can learn to cultivate skillful heart-mind qualities that allow us to let go of unskillful habits. So the whole idea of the Dharma is that through our own efforts, through mindfulness that allows us to be present, we can cultivate and renounce. We can cultivate positivity and we can let go of those negative habits that keep us trapped so deeply and so strongly in the depths of dukkha, the depths of stress and discontent. So right in the heart of the insight is the realization that part of the Eightfold Path is about letting go, renouncing. <laughs> Whenever I give a talk on renunciation, I always remember this one moment. I was, um, I was driving in a car with some friends and I was just getting into Buddhism before I was really practicing. And I was reading a book about it. So I was talking about Buddhism and someone else in the car knew much more about Indian philosophy and Buddhism and things. And uh, in response to my celebration of the Dharma, this person said, I can't stand Buddhism because it's a renunciate path. It says we can't have any pleasure. We have to give up everything. It's a renunciate path. And I was like, oh, geez, that doesn't sound like fun at, fun at all. <laughs> I'm going to have to rethink this because that's not how I interpreted it. So I want to talk about this fear of renunciation, right? This fear of letting go. The reason when I teach, I use letting go instead of renunciation is this for this reason. It's just a, it's a word that just doesn't land for us in our culture. So letting go, people are, can handle it. They're like, oh, sure, I can let go of, of some stuff. Renunciation, God, no. But letting go, I can do. But so let's just talk about some of our inheritance. I love to talk about our inheritance with meaning of words. So... First of all, in English, right? In English, renunciation has some really negative connotations. It means to reject, disown, or relinquish. So if I welcome you into a meditation community and say, let's take some time to reject and disown some stuff, not gonna, not, you're not going to build a community around this idea, right? We're not going to hang out and collectively be with our breath and reject a bunch of stuff. So we inherit this mythology and story to the word where it's a form of rejection, right? It's a form of disowning and relinquishing stuff. It's also associated with the term sacrifice, also can go either way as a word, um, giving up or losing something. So a second definition of renunciation is losing something. 
<laughs> so if I invite you to a spiritual practice where you have to lose, reject, and disown things, it's just the heart crunches, you know, it just just, <laughs> it just collapses. Uh, so remember that that's kind of this background inheritance to this word has these negative connotations built in, like we're going to lose out if we practice renunciation, right? It's a loss, not a gain. Now, another thing we come to, especially if you come from a Judeo-Christian background, which many folks in American Buddhism do, um, there's a lot of transplants, if you will, renunciation kind of rings similar to penance or a type of self-punishment or some way of atoning, like we renounce to atone for our sins. It has a real ring that could very easily be kind of woven right into a Christian framework. And those of us who either went to Sunday school, I went to a Christian high school. Um, so for those of us that come from that background, uh, renunciation can be a big, big turnoff, big, big turnoff. No one wants to practice the renunciate part of the path at all. Another one that people don't think of, and I really like this one a lot, we have a childhood association, right? Think of it this way. Our first association with giving up pleasures oftentimes is a form of punishment from, from something we've done wrong, right? From a parent who said, okay, you're on timeout. <laughs> you did something wrong, you don't get pleasure. So in the beginning stages of life, when we are all about the pleasure before we have to go to work and do other things, when it's pleasure a good portion of our time and we can play a lot, play is taken away, pleasure is given up only if it's taken, <laughs> taken forcibly <laughs> from our hands, right? We don't want to give up pleasure. And oftentimes we think giving up pleasure does not make sense. It's nonsensical. Why would you want to give up pleasure? It's fun. So we have this association from way back, which is pleasure is only given up if we've done something wrong as a punishment. So let's flip this around and talk about how we mean letting go and we mean renunciation in the Dharma because this changes everything. And if we can ground ourselves in the spirit of how the Dharma talks about renunciation, it's a lot easier to practice the part of the path and get joy from the experience, which is what it's designed to do. So the first thing we have to remember is that the Buddha has a hierarchy of happiness. The Buddha's hierarchy is sense pleasures on the bottom, right? Sex, drugs, music, any kind of sensuality, sensual pleasures, and then spiritual practice, pleasures of spiritual practice, pleasures of jhana, pleasures of generosity. So those are pleasures as well. Those are higher pleasures because they're less harmful and they have longevity to them. And then the highest pleasure, which is the pleasure of enlightenment. The Buddha is not saying, and again, it, we have to remember this from the Dharma compared to a Judeo-Christian framework. The Buddha is not saying that pleasure is sinful or it's bad or anything of that, of that sort. The Buddha is simply saying that Momentary pleasures triggered at the sense doors do not provide long-term satiation and happiness, and we can become dependent on just trying to get more and more of those momentary pleasures, thinking if we just get a little bit more, we'll have an experience of contentment. So we have to remember that this is not about turning away from pleasures because they're bad. What we're looking to do 
is to see, is there a higher level of happiness? Can we let go of one thing and trade up for another that's more satisfying, more harmless, more satiating than what we're already experiencing? So it is a game of trade. It is not a game of losing, right? The idea is that you don't lose. The idea is you gain from the experience. So that's something to remember. Another thing that the Buddha talks about is that the problem with sensual pleasures and why we look at them as an opportunity to strategically renounce or let go is because we spend so much time anticipating them, planning them, daydreaming about them, wanting them, wishing for them, strategically trying to get a life in a particular way to have an experience. And we spend so much of our present moment anticipating a future pleasure that the pleasure itself takes 20 minutes or it takes a week vacation takes a zillion present moments to plan and raise money to do. And we do a lot of preparing and losing our present moment experience with the anticipation of a momentary pleasure in the future. And the Buddha was thinking, well, is there a better way to do this? Is there a better way to have a sense of satiation? And, uh, you know, one of the common examples I always give because I like film and TV, is that you've probably never watched a movie that was so satisfying that you never watched a movie again. TV's just not satiating. It's not satisfying. We need more. We just keep binge watching one season after another. It's just not inherently satisfying. But we keep doing it. And again, it's not that it's bad. The Buddha's just pointing out, do you see the hamster wheel behind this mechanism of the heart, the clinging, the craving, the grasping, and then, oh my gosh, it's not satisfying. You know, halfway, you're halfway through an episode and you're thinking, oh, how many more episodes are in the season? Can you keep this pleasure going? And so this is what the Buddha is talking about. It's not about sin. It's not about it being dirty or bad or anything like that. The question the Buddha asks, is there a better way, a more satisfying pleasure that can be experienced through letting go, through renunciation. That's really the question. Another thing to know about the way we approach freedom in the West, and I've mentioned this in several different Dharma talks, and I believe it applies here. Particularly, again, I can only speak from the culture I'm from, but from North American culture at large, what we call freedom is an absence of rules, an absence of restrictions of all kinds or any kinds for that matter. True freedom is often broadcast as no rules, no boundaries. I'm not going to limit anything. And not only do we look at freedom that way, we celebrate freedom often in our culture by celebrating indulgence and overindulgence at that of sensuality. So we often say, oh, I'm free to gain as much pleasure as I want, and I can have as much pleasure, I would get all the pleasure I can, even if it means I have more than I need or ever could use. So we not only celebrate freedom in relationship to pleasure, but we celebrate an overindulgence in pleasure as well. So our common culture is not saying, hey, maybe we should let go of some of this. That's not our attitude, because freedom means I have the freedom to overindulge, and that's part of our cultural orientation. So in the Dharma, this is the thing to remember about renunciation as an attitudinal orientation to your practice. We're not asked to give up freedom. What we're being asked is to let go to get our freedom back. 
That's what we're being asked to do. Renunciation is a temporary letting go of something that gives our freedom back, meaning the main suffering of sense contact is that we keep have to come back to get the next hit. We keep have to come back, we come back, come back to get the energy that we think is satiation. And that dependence and that longing, the Buddha said, there's just so much stress in there. There's so much suffering. Why not practice letting go of some of that and watch the freedom that arises when you don't have the agitation of the longing, but can still feel satisfied, feel peaceful and at ease without having the stimulation. So that's the trade-off. And until we can really accept that that's possible, that there really is a benefit from strategically letting go, it's hard to bring that attitude toward our life because part of ourselves is always thinking, yeah, maybe, but you know, in the meantime, I'm just going to click the next episode. I'm going to drink the next drink or take the next intoxicant. So we might, you know, we might consider that it might be possible that letting go of some things could lead to happiness, but there's a part of our heart that's always doubting that that's true, which is why the Buddha invites us to routinely come back to that intention as part of the path to remember, may I aspire to let go? May I aspire to live a life of simplicity and ease? I find it so interesting that wisdom is so often associated with simplicity, living simply, right? And so renunciation is a commitment to simplicity, a commitment to decreasing distraction, a commitment to strategically looking at the way we cling to sensuality and looking for the suffering. Because if we don't see the suffering, <laughs> we're not going to do any kind of letting go. So we are looking for the Buddha is inviting us to look for the suffering in those momentary pleasures and watching for the cycle of stress that arises. As we do that, the intention becomes much easier and makes much more sense in our daily life. I want to read this quote by the Buddha, which I like in reference to this. The Buddha says this, this is in the Dhammapada. I don't really quote that that often, but the Dhammapada has got some great stuff in it. This is what the Buddha says. If by forsaking a limited ease, a person would see an abundance of ease, the enlightened person would forsake the limited ease for the sake of this abundance. If, by forsaking a limited ease, a person would see an abundance of ease, the enlightened person would forsake the limited ease for the sake of abundance. So again, in this context, it's not about loss or losing or rejecting. It's about seeing the suffering, letting go of the suffering, and in place of it, transcending to a higher sense of well-being and happiness. One other framework I like to bring into this kind of conversation about renunciation is that, again, when we come to spiritual practice, we struggle to get to the cushion. We struggle to get to retreats. Uh, we struggled for consistency, of course, in practice. And part of this is because the thought in our head says, where do I fit it in in my life? Because we know that to put mindfulness in life means you need to have a space to do it, which often means, what am I going to give up? If I'm going to sit for an hour every day, 
what about the television I used to watch in that hour? Or what about these other things I used to do? Read or go on a hike or be with a friend or be with my kiddos, whatever the case may be. We know that when we're starting to practice, in order to put meditation into life regularly, something else has to leave that space. <laughs> Unless you have a bunch of free time, which I personally don't, but it, you, might, you might have a ton of time. But I'm just, in generally speaking, we see the renunciation right away. That we have to have some boundaries and some discipline and create some structure for ourselves that turns out to be this renunciate space. We must give up time spent with sensual pleasures in order to spend time in quiet contemplation. It's just what has to happen. And what I've come to see the metaphor, which I really like when I think about renunciation, is that I like to compare the Buddha to an Olympic athlete. And the reason I like to do that is the Buddha's aspiration was to be free from all suffering, which is a hugely ridiculous goal. I mean, who even... You know, the, he was young when he had the aspiration. So he leaves home and is like, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go leave. I'm leaving my marriage. I'm leaving my kid. I'm running off into the woods. And I'm going to pursue this ridiculous aspiration of being a liberated being. I mean, it's just a cra it's crazy sounding. You know, it may not be crazy for us because we practice all the time. But generally speaking, it's pretty nuts. It's a huge ambition that takes incredible sacrifice. So... When he went off, I kind of see him going off and training for the Olympics, you know. I'm going to train for a bunch of years and then I get my gold medal. But it takes a lot of discipline and practice and renunciation for him to have gotten the experience. And so the way I apply this to householder life is just to remind ourselves that when an Olympic athlete decides they want to be on an Olympic team and play a sport at that level, there is an awareness that they're going to have to give some stuff up in this life to do that, to aspire to be that good at something. They're going to have to give up things in order to do it. The priority of the gold medal, the priority of excelling in that particular way means long hours of training, which means less time with friends. It means traveling probably and competing, which means less time to do other hobbies. Something is renounced in the spirit of this higher aspiration to succeed in a particular way. And if you look at people who are living their lives according to some higher ideal, we see that they have to have discipline to keep that up. They have to renounce. They have to let go of other things. Because always, when we commit to doing something in our life, it means we're automatically not committing to doing something else. You can't, there's no other way about it. If you're going to sit in meditation or if you're going to sit a day-long retreat that's eight hours on a Saturday, like we did this past year, that means during those eight hours, you're not going to be out with friends. You're not going to be watching TV or reading or kayaking or hiking or whatever. You've chosen to let go of those opportunities for the sake of a higher aspiration. That's renunciation. That's what it looks like in real life. And when you think of it, again, the reason I use the athlete model is because you're going to be an athlete means you have to take care of your body in a particular way. You're going to eat a particular way, be healthy in a particular way. Like meditators, we take precepts, right? We renounce particular activities such as taking what's not freely given. Sometimes that's inconvenient, right? Sometimes 
you don't want to, sometimes you want to tell a, a lie or a white lie or exaggerate something and then you recall, oh gosh, but as a meditator, I'm really committing not to do that. Okay, I won't do it. But the heart sometimes just wants to not have to have the restriction, the restraint, the discipline. So renunciation is a way of creating discipline. It's a way of reminding ourselves of our commitment to practice. And it reminds us that if we're going to have a higher aspiration of well-being in a spiritual practice, something's got to give. We'll have to let go of something. And that's just healthy. I think it's healthy for us to see it in that way. I want to read a quote. Yeah, I got time. Yay. I want to read this quote by Achan Sumedho. <laughs> Before I read the quote, I'll, I'll say one other thing about practice. Whenever we choose to be awake and aware to the present moment, we are choosing to let go of the wandering mind. We are renouncing or putting a restriction on the mind to let it do whatever it wants, which is to wander. Every moment of meditation is a choice. We can allow the mind to wander into the future, into the past, into fantasies, right? Into lustful fantasies, angry fantasies, checklists, things to do. We let it wander. Whenever we choose to have a moment of wakefulness, we are letting go of allowing the mind to do whatever it wants. We're putting a restriction on the mind. We're renouncing distraction for the sake of presence. So every mindful moment is an act of letting go because the mind wants to do whatever it wants, whenever it wants, and does not want to be with the breath. Saying or inviting the mind to breathing is putting a boundary, right? But what we're doing is we constrict our awareness. We put a limit to what we allow the mind to do. But the reward is that suddenly the present moment offers a clarity and a pleasure and an insight. So what we do, we renounce the wandering mind, we renounce and let go of distraction. And in doing that, we get the gift of wisdom. So we get something in return. So when we look at meditation, it's really helpful to remember that meditation by nature is a renunciative act. It is renunciation because you're letting go of all of the chaos and the distraction and the wandering, right? So we remind ourselves that by narrowing the freedom of the mind, we get a greater freedom in return. Mind wants to wander. We're like, nope, putting on restrictions. You are not free to roam about the cabin. You must sit in your seat right here. And what is the pleasure of that? The pleasure of insight, the pleasure of concentration. By limiting the freedom of the mind to pursue all the distractions, we get a deeper understanding of present moment awareness. And with that present moment awareness, we can see the cause of suffering and the cause of happiness. And now we're starting to get the treasure of the path. So when I say let go, that's just another word for meditate. That's just another word for being mindful, being present, being on the path. So here's the quote. This quote is from Achan Sumedho. I'll give you one cultural reference here. He uses the word Hinayana. Hinayana is not used too much anymore in 
common circles. It's used still kind of in scholarly circles because it's a derogatory term for Theravada Buddhism, early Buddhism. Hinayana means lesser vehicle. So it's a word that uh, early on certain uh, meditation traditions and that's where the distinction between Mahayana and Hinayana, Mahayana greater vehicle, Hinayana lesser vehicle. So he uses that word here. So I wanted to throw that out there so you understand what it means. Okay, here is the quote. For minds obsessed by the compulsive thinking and grasping, you simplify your meditation practices to just two words, let go. Rather than try to develop this practice and then develop that, achieve this and go into that, the grasping mind wants to read all the suttas, to study the Abhidhamma, wants to learn Sanskrit and Pali, and Pranja Paramita, it wants to get ordinations in Hinayana, Mahayana, Vajrayana. The mind wants to write books and become a renowned authority on Buddhism. Instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international conferences, why not just let go, let go, let go? For years, I did nothing but this in my practice. Every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say, let go, let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you to save you from getting caught in an incredible amount of suffering. There's nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. Some of you might have the desire to become the Buddha of the age, Maitreya, radiating love throughout the world. Instead, just be an earthworm who knows only two words. Let go. Let go. Let go. You see, ours is called the lesser vehicle, the Hinayana, so we only have these poverty-stricken practices. Only said by Achan Sumedho. I love it. I was lucky to see him once before he left back for, I believe, Europe at uh, one of the local meditation centers. He came for an evening, just an evening for a few hours. One of my favorite quotes by him. So renunciation. The second fold of the path invites us to remind our heart of our aspirations for practice. Letting go is one of those aspirations. And as we sit to meditate, we remind ourselves, oh, I'm going to let go of wandering mind. I'm going to let go of the sensual world for a while. I'm going to limit the freedom of the mind so an ultimate freedom can arise. Let go, let go, let go. Nikama, renunciation. I think I'll leave it at that. I think I'll leave it at that. I thought we could conclude tonight with a different sort of meta. And I think maybe next week we will talk about loving kindness as another aspiration. But what I did when I was reading about this the last couple days, I found this really cool article by Sylvia Borstein. And I will put the, the notes to the article in the show notes for the podcast. She had written this article on wise intention. And in the article, she wrote out these various ways that she translates the precepts as an intention. 
And I'd like us at the end here in a couple minutes to, I'll read them and I'd like us to do our meta around these because they're just beautiful. They're just beautiful and it will sort of lead into next week's Dharma talk. And I'll tell you what these are. So the first round of precepts are just the way that she normally rephrase, rephrases them, the basic precepts. The second set she writes out are the interpretations of the precepts from friends of hers who use the precepts as their vows in marriage. So she redoes the precepts again from her friends who do this as marriage vows. And then the last one, the last version of our precepts is kind of her, some of her personal favorites, which she says some people like to put on their mirror, like with a post-it note. So she gathered together some of her favorite uh, aphorisms. So before we move into that, let me just thank you again for coming, your kind attention and your participation in Wednesday Wake Up. I really appreciate you in my life. I love doing this. Um, I'm in the process of writing out a little email for everybody just to get us started into the new year of some things that are going to be coming. Um, I'm really excited for a few announcements, so you'll be getting that uh, pretty soon. And um, I wanted to thank everybody who's been a monthly contributor to Wednesday Wake Up. I can't tell you how much that has helped keep this going. It really helps us to produce the podcast. It helps us with our weekly and monthly expenses. Um, and there are expenses to make this work. And I just, I love you to death for really just offering the, the generosity. Thank you so much. It just touches my heart that um, you offer generosity in that way. So thank you for the Donna that you are contributing. If you are not a monthly giver yet, you can go to the Wednesday Wake Up website and you can become a monthly contributor. On that note, let us fall back into presence and as we are awake and aware of body, let me read these beautiful interpretations of the attitudinal orientation called the precepts. Just take a few long, slow, deep breaths. Let's return our awareness fully to this sitting body. Just feeling the shape and form. My body in this moment feels like this. Let's let go fully into the awareness of being. We might thank ourselves for the practice of this evening. We might have a sense of gratitude for everyone in this room who joined us today. And we might remind ourselves that the Buddha invites us to keep noble aspirations, noble intentions and attitudes close to our hearts. And a part of these aspirations are the precepts. With your awareness grounded firmly in the body, let us remember the following. I undertake the precept to abstain from harming living beings. 
I undertake the precept to abstain from taking what that which is not freely given. I undertake the precept to speak without being abusive or exploitive. I undertake the precept to abstain from sexuality that is exploitive or abusive. And I undertake the precept to refrain from intoxicating my mind into heedless behavior. Because I love you, I promise never to harm you. Because I love you, I promise to never take anything you don't want to give me. Because I love you, I'll speak only truthfully and kindly to you. Because I love you, I'll treat your body with love. Because I love you, I will keep my mind free from confusion so that I act only out of wisdom. On behalf of myself and all beings, I intend to refrain from consciously hurting anyone. On behalf of myself and all beings, I intend to refrain from overtly or covertly taking what is not mine. On behalf of myself and all beings, I intend to be sure that my speech is kind as well as true. And on behalf of myself and all beings, I intend to refrain from addictive behaviors that confuse my mind and lead to heedlessness. Thank you, my friends, for this delightful evening. May you all keep benevolent aspirations close to your heart until I see you next. Thank you so much for coming. Be well, be at peace. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.